0: Bring up the topic of education policy with anyone in the United States, and it won't take long before the conversation centers on standardized testing. Standardized tests can be effective at measuring how much a student has learned about a particular subject, but if the goal is to close a widening gap in workforce preparedness between the well-educated and those who were left behind, so to speak, are core subjects like reading, writing, and arithmetic the only things we need to improve? Hello and welcome to the Harvard Kennedy School PolicyCast. I'm your host, Matt Cadwalader, and you can subscribe to us on iTunes or elsewhere by visiting hkspolicycast.org. You can also find us every week in Boston Globe Opinion and on Twitter, at PolicyCast. Today we're joined by Ronald Ferguson, the faculty director of Harvard's Achievement Gap Initiative based out of the Harvard Graduate School of Education and the Kennedy School's Wiener Center for Social Policy. Professor Ferguson, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. How do you define the achievement gap?
1: There are actually lots of achievement gaps, but there are differences between groups in the ways that they perform on measures that we care about. Typically, we define it in terms of standardized test scores, but we can define it in terms of grades or even attitudes and, and various important dispositions.
0: It might sound like an obvious question, but why is the achievement gap so important right now? The gap is important
1: because we care about equity in the society for all types of reasons. We also care just about excellence in general. And to the degree that we have some groups that are not performing as high as as well as other groups, we have larger numbers of children who are not living up to their potential. And it's got implications for the entire society as well as for those groups that to be performing less well than we think they potentially could. Um, I mean, we've got a long history in the society of both racial and socioeconomic equity. We know that different groups have had different access to opportunity over time, and so it's also simply uh, a matter of fairness. Uh, Lately also, there has been um, new research showing that we've got growing inequality on the basis of parental education and socioeconomic background. In fact, we've had stable or perhaps narrowing racial uh, academic performance and achievement, but widening differences by by family background, and, and all these are things that we worry about.
0: Is this something that's new, or is it something that we're tracking better now?
1: We have always had disparities in the society, so it's not that we particularly on racial grounds, it's not that we're doing worse than we ever have before. We're probably doing about as well as we have before. It just matters more now. People can't earn a living if they don't have the types of reading and math and reasoning skills that we're usually focused on when we talk about gaps. Uh, The socioeconomic gaps beyond the racial gaps are probably worse than they've been in a long time. I mean, I can't speak too far back in history, but. They've been uh, widening in the recent past. I mean, uh, Bob Putnam's book uh, recently talking about growing inequality, other people have been doing more statistical work work Mm -hmm. on that, so Um, there's evidence that that too much inequality is just bad for societies. Mm -hmm. And so it's um, justifiably becoming more and more of a priority.
0: We actually had uh, uh, Professor Putnam on earlier this year uh, speaking about just that. He spoke about this gap between uh, those who've gone to college, those with parents who have gone to college, uh, and those without, and how that is a major divide in in the the U.S. right now.
1: Uh, Let let me emphasize, though, that... um, When you say going to college and the importance of college, just a footnote to our conversation, we need to get past the idea that everybody has to have a four-year degree. Um, Sort of, we need high school plus. Mm -hmm. You know, graduate from high high school and get some type of certification for the world of work. And as long as we can get most people there, we're going to be, I think, in decent shape. I I interrupt here a little bit just because we have another project called Pathways to Prosperity Mm -hmm. that uh, Bob Schwartz and I worked on and Bob Schwartz is really continuing that now and the challenge there is to balance out the College for All movement particularly if Mm -hmm. you mean four years of of college Um, so I just wanted to to tag that issue. Yeah, well, we actually, it. that speaks
0: yeah. to my question, because if we're seeing this inequality divide right. between college uh, graduates and non-college graduates, right. it says that there's something that needs to be done about that section of society that isn't going to college. Uh, not to say that they should, right. um, but what what can be done for that segment uh, to lift their, their you know, yeah, lift
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's a long story. <laughs> you, can, you can start from birth. Um, Basically, socioeconomic, gender, and racial gaps are v- clearly visible by the age of two right. and traceable to early childhood life experience. As we get t- older, the, um, I think beginning in upper elementary school, we ought to start systematically giving young people images of possible selves. There's an interesting program in Boston run by a woman named Patricia Spence, who was my student, second year I ever taught. and. Um, she, it's, the program is called They Made It, So Can I. And they take people into fifth grade classrooms to tell their life stories beginning when they were in fifth grade. And they have a variety of people ranging from the mail carrier and truck driver to a brain surgeon. And so for every month or two, for maybe even fourth, fifth, and sixth grade, mm-hmm. somebody comes through, talks about their lives and how they got from being a 10th grader, I mean a 10-year-old in fifth grade to being a grown-up with a job and a, and a life. Um, it gives kids enough menus of possible se- enough possible self images that they can start to plan mm-hmm. right and have a reason to stay on task. Mm-hmm. I worked hard in high school because I knew I needed good grades to get into a good college, and I had some things I wanted to do in life. right. right? And so we need to give kids um, images uh, of how it matters that they persist and, and, and do their best toward whatever goal uh, appeals to them no matter whether it requires a college degree or not, mm-hmm. right? And the, the new study that, that we're talking about today, the, the focus is on agency, which is young people feeling a sense that they can make a decision and follow through and be successful. It's sort of the the capacity and the propensity to take purposeful initiative, mm-hmm. right? And so we can build that much more purposefully as kids pass through school. So you could start with Things like the they-made-it-so-can-I types of activities in upper elementary school, uh, taking young people on visits to plants and companies. You know, mm-hmm. the things you don't... I, I, when I was a kid, I always used to want to go beyond, in those doors in the back of the grocery store. That people used to come in and out of, you know, what's back there, you know, take, take yeah. them back there, let them see what it looks like for people to be at work back there. Mm-hmm. Take them into the warehouses on the hi- highway; they never get to go in, or the offices in the high-rise apartment buildings, sure. not apartment buildings, high-rise office buildings, right? Right. And so you've got um, all this exposure that we could give kids to what life is, what, what, to what life entails, what to our careers entail, mm-hmm. that would give them um, a sense. Of Direction and purpose and just an understanding of, of of how the world works, and again, you take that on up to apprenticeships and high schools and mm-hmm. all these kinds of things. and if we pair that um, attention to possibilities with uh, also attention to being sure that we provide the highest quality instruction that we can mm-hmm. just in the in the basic uh, reading and math kinds sure. of fields and do some of the other things that we'll probably talk about in the next 10 minutes. Um, I think it's, there's a lot of hopefulness, mm-hmm. um, but we will not get there by, um, by accident. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going to be on, on purpose that we work systematically as a society, ideally with leadership coming from all kinds of directions sure, to get where we need to go.
0: I want to talk about this this study that you've recently right. authored. It's called The Influence of Teaching Beyond Standardized Test Scores, Engagement, Mindsets, and Agency. You mentioned right. agency already. Right. Yeah. There's a constant conversation out there about standardized tests, whether right. they're good or bad, or how right. much time we're spending on them. Right. You see it as supplemental. They're not necessarily bad, but they're not the end-all and be-all of measuring progress.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think we can – when we think about the purposes of schooling and our goals for what we want schools to achieve – We can distinguish basic academic skills on the one hand and more intellectual mindsets and dispositions and orientations and propensities, so to speak on the other hand. Mm -hmm. And so we use the the shorthand agency related factors to summarize um, a number of things that include helping to develop a mastery orientation where students are really focused on learning as much as they can, propensity to seek help when you need it. Mm the um, belief that when you work hard you can get smarter, the tendency to be conscientious and paying attention to the quality of your work, mm-hmm. the tendency to have a future orientation so you're aware that what you do today affects your life tomorrow, and at least some of your time and energy today is, is in preparation for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So all those things have to do with taking um, purposeful initiative um, toward achievement of, of various goals that you conceive and also they do require having the capacity to take that initiative. So we lump all these things together under the heading of agency. Mm -hmm. And so if you can say the two big headings, if I I could go out and just dictate how we're gonna think about this, (laughs) one big heading would be the development of academic skills, the other big heading would be the development of agency. Mm -hmm. Right? And all our professional learning for teachers and our ideas of what educational productivity looks like, would prioritize both these things Mm -hmm. and both are important i mean i got interested in test scores at the end of the 1980s when we had 10 year old data um, collected through test scores when young people were um, ages 14 to 21 10 years later they were 24 to 31 and you could drop a test score in a wage equation and knock out most of the black white hourly earnings gap that um the skills that those tests were measuring are skills that people sell mm-hmm. when they go into the labor market, right? Right. And so mm-hmm. as an economist interested in, in racial equity, for example, there was nothing mo- any more effective or impactful you could do mm-hmm. than to reduce inequity in the skills that people use to generate their incomes, right? right? And so I spent a lot of time over the last 20, 25 years thinking about how to close test score, uh, close skill gaps measured by test scores, right? But um, more recently, like a lot of people, my attention has been also pulled to the fact that other things matter too. And so beginning about 15 years ago, I started measuring some of these other things, right? Um, work It grew out of my consulting work actually in Shaker Heights, Ohio and then spread to, to other places mm-hmm. where, in collaboration with teachers, I designed surveys to understand what students are actually experiencing in classrooms. We were interested in student engagement and student mindsets and what teaching looked like from the perspective of students, and we developed what became uh, Tripod Student Surveys. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I actually have a business now that provides survey services to mm-hmm. schools around the country and that business generates a lot of data that we can then bring into Harvard and analyze for studies like the ones we just talked about.
0: So I think the theory behind standardized yeah. tests is that you know what the students show that they know right. is, a, is an indication of how well the teachers are doing at teaching them those subjects. Yes. How do you measure how these teachers are doing without using the standardized tests? For-
1: Classroom level student surveys mm-hmm. that ask this, this, the, the student, how do you experience this class that you're sitting in right now with this particular teacher? Mm-hmm. okay. And we have, you know, hundreds of thousands of observations on these things. Sure. All right. And so we also ask not only how do you experience care, you know, does this, is this teacher tune into your emotions when you're not feeling good on a good day? Mm-hmm. Does this teacher welcome your point of view in class? Does this teacher make learning interesting? Does this teacher explain things clearly and clear up confusion and give you a useful feedback and um, summarize things at the end of the class period and uh, ask you to really explain your thinking? and um hold you accountable for continuing to work even when you want to tune out okay does the teacher do all those kinds of things so we can have we have we're in the 18th 18th generation of the survey now mm-hmm. so it's been refined year after year sure. to to get at these things and we can show that students can distinguish these ideas when they are answering questions about the class mm-hmm. but in addition to those we ask questions about student engagement and mindsets so you know um this a guy named Eric Erickson who has a theory of life cycle relationships with the social environment. We adapted Erickson's model to look at life in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so we pick up how safe and trustful students feel, um, how cooperative they perceive themselves to be doing, how ambitious they are about their learning, mm-hmm. how relentless and diligent they are. So do they ask for help when they need it? Do they give their best effort, for example?
0: Sure.
1: Um, how satisfied they are with what they learn, how much they perceive they have learned. But in addition to that, we asked questions that get at what people are calling mindsets these days that have to do with growth mindset and conscientiousness and future orientation. So here what we do is something different from what most of the research has done thus far is most people, if they're looking at something like uh, conscientiousness, um, the questions will have to do with whether you perceive yourself to be a conscientious person, Mm -hmm. right? And that's what I call a status measure. I am this type of person. Sure. In our surveys, we in additional we ask the students directly, are you learning to be a conscientious person in this class? And so that's a four-item index in what we do. Mm-hmm. So it's got an item like, for example, uh, in this class we learn to pay attention to the quality of our work. In this class we u- learn to use time wisely. Okay. okay, in this class we learn to be well-organized. Mm-hmm. So those are actually d- asking students directly about the development of conscientiousness mm-hmm. in this classroom, and then we pair that with questions about status. So I am the type of person who pays attention to the quality of my work. I am the type of person who's well organized, uses time wisely, and so on. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we can study the degree to which what they say about the seven C's of teaching predicts whether they say in this class, we learn to be more conscientious in the way that I just said. Mm -hmm. Similarly, a growth mindset in this class, we learn to believe we can get smarter okay mm-hmm. as opposed to just thinking you're, you're stuck where you are you're stuck sure. smart or you're stuck not smart. sure
0: i, I kind of want to tie this back to sure. this idea of agency and right. so students today obviously are facing prospects and however many years when they get out of school right. of either going to college and and potentially having a good career or you know having poor prospects without going to college uh is that reflected in the need to inspire them? I mean is it true that students today need to be inspired more than students maybe 10, 20, 30 years ago? I think students have
1: always needed to be inspired but the um, 30, 40, 50 years ago there were more and better jobs for people whose aspirations with regard to particularly academic skills were pretty limited. I mean, you could do any of a number of different things mm-hmm. um, without needing many academic skills. Now, even to work in manufacturing, you need pretty good math intuition because a lot of the ma- ma- manufacturing is computer-guided. Right. So you've got to be able to look at a computer screen and watch the, a line on a graph and know when to shut the line down. Right. Okay? Uh, people have tried to cut out man- middle management. You've got to now, instead of having a lot of managers People on the line might have to write the um, directions to the next shift that's coming in to let them know, you know, where we stopped and what you need to do Mm -hmm. and so on. So, um, and a lot of that shift change happened, you know, in the 80s and 90s. And so people need more skills just to survive these days. And um, aspiration, inspiration, agency Mm -hmm. um, are all the more important because you can't be passive Right. these days and the society is so um so fluid that people are have to change jobs and you have to learn new things mm-hmm. and we need people to to be lifelong learners and to take the initiative to to learn the things that they will need to learn in order to qualify for the next opportunity mm-hmm. right and so it's always been true that um we needed agency that people needed agency i think we have left it to chance whether we pay explicit whether students are given any explicit direction right. in that we've assumed parents will take care of that the family the community will take mm-hmm. care of that, and when you come to school you've got to learn to read and write and reason right and so now the nice thing is that some of the things that we do in school serve both purposes right but I think if we pay attention to each side explicitly and purposefully, we may end up with a blend of activity that would be different from if we didn't pay attention uh, purposefully. And I'm not claiming I've got it all figured out, um, but I think um, these are things we can figure out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the things that we need to do, we can measure people, think about, oh, you can just measure the basic skills kinds of things. You can measure almost anything, <laughs> right? All you need to do is be able to rate it. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, is this, would you rate this low or high? You know, scale mm-hmm. of one to five, one to three, one to 10. Um, people can give you a, a sense. I mean, even when you go to the doctor, you're in pain. The doctor says, well, on a scale of 1 to 10, what is it? Right. And my experience is I'm usually able to say, well, it's about a 5 or it's a 7 or it's a 9. Mm-hmm. You know, pe- people think you can't um, measure a lot of the th- feelings that, that we have. We think it's got to be something you can measure like a test score. How many, how many did a student get correct? Yep. But you can measure almost anything that people have a, a, a feeling about because the feelings tend to be intense or not so intense. Mm-hmm. Just like with pain, your doctor asked you, is it, where is it on a scale of 1 to 10? And my experience, is, I can usually tell them. Right. I can distinguish a 5 from a 7 from a 9 sure. in pain on a scale of 1 to 10. Similarly, uh, if somebody is asking you, we ask students on a scale of 1 to 5 to rate whether in this class you learn to pay attention to the quality of your work. Students have had it, particularly after you know second third grade they've had enough experience with different teachers and knowing what it feels like to really do it versus not to really do it that they can give you a reasonable answer mm-hmm. on um, on things like whether you're learning to believe you can get smarter or whether you paying attention to the quality learning to pay attention to the quality of your work in this class right. and one of the things that we're most interested in learning and being able to calibrate more effectively even we started in this paper but we want to get further along is really understand the evolution of identity in terms of conscientiousness and growth mindset and future orientation and the the theoretical notion is the more students have short-term experiences that emphasize and press them and inform them on things like this the more they will sort of transition over into a mindset where they think that's just the kind of person I am I mean, imagine one year, all your teachers were pressing, were emphasizing to you that the harder you work, the smarter you're going to get, and all your teachers were emphasizing you—you've got to pay attention to the quality of your work. I'm not going to accept sloppy work. Mm-hmm. You know, beginning next week, next next school year, somebody asks you, "Are you the type of person that pays attention to the quality of your work?" You say, "Yep, that's just kind of that's the kind of guy I am." <laughs> you know, because <laughs> it has been reinforced mm-hmm. uh, in so many different ways. Sure, and. The, we're able to, to begin to document that kind of thing in this study, and over time, I think we're going to do that even better, and it, and it matters.
0: Well, Professor Ronald Ferguson, thanks so much for being on uh, PolicyCast today.
1: Thank you. I've enjoyed it.
0: If you'd like to learn more about Professor Ferguson's work, we'll have a link to his latest study in the show notes. HKS PolicyCast is produced by Matt Cadwallader and Molly Lanzarota, photography by Tatiana Johnson. Special thanks to those who help get us out there every week, including Catherine Serafin at Harvard, as well as Ellen Clegg and Nicole Hernandez of the Boston Globe, and to you for listening in. See you next week. You've been listening to the Harvard Kennedy School PolicyCast. You can subscribe to PolicyCast on iTunes, Stitcher, and elsewhere by visiting hkspolicycast.org. And let us know what you think on Twitter.